0: We have a mission to improve the welfare of horses throughout the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers. And that's what these chats are all about. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Today's guest is Jill Buckfield. Jill's a horse person. She's also an equestrian trainer and coach and she's been a dressage, show jumping and eventing competitor. Now she's working as a psychologist. She's also coaching but working as a psychologist. So she's acutely aware of the importance of a rider's mental attitude when riding and because she's a coach as well. We sort of combine those two and talk to her about that today. How are you, Jill?
1: I am well, thank you. It's a lovely day here today, so it's all good.
0: Great day here today too. Lovely, sun shining, temperature's just about right. It's really good.
1: It is indeed. It's Mm -hmm. going to be handy as well, but look, we can't have everything. (laughs) Yes.
0: Okay. Now, Jill, your favourite quote, what's that one?
1: My favourite quote is, not failure, but low aim is crime.
0: Okay. Now, have you ever had a low aim and been told that? How did you actually get this saying?
1: No, look, I just like it because it resonates well with me because it's not – Not probably me so much, but I've had a lot of riders over the time uh, when I've been at competitions who've been struggling if they haven't gone as well as expected. And I've said, look, you've actually been able to make it here to the competition. That's a thing in itself. Um, Mm -hmm. And to get a rider and horse fit and well to a competition and have qualified to various ones is a good thing in its own right. So trying to get some perspective around it, I guess. And if you try... And you you don't necessarily go as well as expected, but you're giving it your best shot. And there's so many things that can go wrong in the equestrian world. um, To even get to a a competition is, is good in its own right.
0: That's right. And, you know, no rider goes out there and wins every single time.
1: No, no one does. Yeah. And I think it's those that are a bit fearful, thinking, oh, I won't go well, so I won't give it a try, but then they never even know where they stand with that. So um, I guess that's why it resonates well with me. But it's worth giving it a try and see how you go.
0: And the other thing is too, the only person you should be competing against is yourself, you know, yesterday, what you've done previously.
1: Indeed, I couldn't agree with that more. I think one of the key things is to actually um, be aware of where you're at with your training. And if you're doing as well as you are at home in, in your training, well, that's great. If you're too reliant on what a judge says, certainly in the subjective sports like dressage, um, then it's a bit tricky, or even happening for that matter. But if your horse is going well, then you can be happy with that in yep. its own right. And whether or not you get a rhythm, that can that can be a bonus.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Now I know you started to ride when you were five. What I'm interested more so is an early memory, you know, almost out of the mouths of babes, what your early memories were when you rode, you know, if you remember the first time you went riding or something like that.
1: Oh, look, I can remember one of the first riding school horses I rode. I think it was in Tasmania and he was called Archie, a um, a dun, and I can remember that. And he was just a, little, a lovely little horse to ride. He seemed really big, but I was pretty small. Yep. So he probably wasn't that big, but I do remember that and that really – uh, yeah, he gave me a passion for the sport from from the moment I started riding, and I do remember riding that particular.
0: Do you remember anything lineup. he did? Any any of his characteristics? Anything that you were worried about, or anything you thought was very good?
1: Uh, he was a bit of an all rounder. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did a whole lot of things with him, albeit it was in a riding school situation. But so sort of we used to jump him, we'd go out trail riding with the groups, and we were doing some uh, flat work back then as well. It certainly wasn't dressage in the, in the riding school, but we did a, a bunch of things with him. And I was pretty confident at, at, from when I started riding, so uh, that made it easy. But he was just—it was just fun. I found I really enjoyed it, and I guess that's been a thing throughout my entire time with horses. but I enjoy doing it. It's—it's a sport that I find just—it's uh, a pleasure to do. It's—it's it's tough at times, and there's going to be some down times, but I, I still enjoy riding a horse, if it's just going for a trail ride or or some sort of competition. It's—it's it's the pleasure of actually being with a horse. It's not any riding them. It's. I'm going to hear them eating that nice sound they make and, mm-hmm. and the smell of them, just something
0: about yeah. the animals. Now, there's something I've got to ask you about because sometimes I see competitions to give away a horse, you know, and I cringe. I just think, what are the prerequisites to just give away a horse? You know, how do you know that the horse is going to be well looked after, especially a competition horse? And in this particular case, I think it was a purebred Arabian yearling you know, I would yes. I would worry about that, but apparently, you got one of these. You got one of these, and what happened? I mean, how did you enter the competition? Tell us a little bit about that, because that's every child who entered that competition that would have been the absolute dream to win that. And I think I might have entered it too, but I didn't win it, so I want to <laughs> know what happened. To... Uh,
1: look, it was uh, a pretty an amazing time, and I I would call it life changing. Actually. Um, mm-hmm. I was still, I think I was still at school at the time, and a, a friend of mine, she had actually gone in for a competition the year before, and she'd won a part Arabian yearling. Um, she had to write an essay, and it was the Adelaide Advertiser newspaper and the um, Arabian Horse Society, the South Australian division, that it was uh, back then, and they had this competition, and then they were giving away a purebred yearling. And my friend said, you should go in for it. And I went, oh, I've got no chance. And she said, look, I won it. So, in fact, I mine was different. I had a crossword and saying 25 words or less why you wanted to win this particular yearling. I went in for it, put in the crossword, and was stunned that then um, I got a call saying, you've won a major prize.
0: Wow. And And
1: my friend said, oh, I think I might have won first, second or third. And she said, mm, you no, know, if you won a major prize, you've probably won the fourth. So went down to Victoria Park Racecourse. Uh, with my parents at that stage, I was, I think I was only 15 or 16, and, um, yes, was presented with this Arabian, pubert Arabian gelding called Taqwa Tahan. Uh, he'd already placed at the show. There was uh, an Arabian show on. He'd won, I think, champion gelding or something or other. He had, I know he had a couple of ribbons around his neck.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the staff handed them to me, and the first time, I think it was Hilary Nickel from Calqua uh, Stud, the first thing she said to me is, uh, have you ever had a horse before, before she actually gave me the uh, because you had a
0: um, It's a bit late isn't it, it. When, when you've actually won <laughs> it but you know yes at least they have asked that yes
1: yeah, yeah well that's you make a really good point as it was I was familiar with horses in fact had, had a um, palomino at, at that point um, but wasn't a show sort of horse it was just a palomino a general sort of horse I, I had but this horse was obviously a, a very good quality and they would selected him for his temperament given they weren't sure mm. who was going to get him as you say I'd be a bit worried about giving one of my horses away That's a complete yeah,
0: stranger.
1: Yeah, But he was a lovely horse, and he really uh, started my competition career. And the uh, Nichols, Hillary and Bryce Nichols, and uh, their daughter Jenny, um, they were fantastic in in supporting me along the way and and helping me compete for that particular horse.
0: Now, as far as the competitions, you you had him going up to national level. You did dressage, show jumping, um, eventing, polo, cross, endurance. Hunted him. What didn't you do on he him? He did
1: just about everything. Yeah, he was an amazing horse at the time. It was still and and may still be a bit of a stigma against the Arabs that people will always say, you know, they're just tails in the air and they snort and they can't do anything. And um, I would often be commented by people various various competitions. Gee, he's going really well for an Arab. Mm. That would always be <laughs> <at> the end. <laughs> and I kind of thought, well, actually, no, he's going well. Um, yeah. Certainly, when I started going in open competitions, there were some eyebrows raised, particularly in the dressage circles. Uh, the Nichols from Calcutta—they were competing some of their horses in open uh, competitions as well. But he was just such a good all-rounder. He had an amazing temperament, and yeah, just about did everything with him. I started off doing hacking and showing because I guess that's where where I started with him because they'd already done some of that with him as a as a yearling, and it was a good place to start. And I sort of built up my confidence with that, and then. Transitioned into doing some dressage uh, work with him, and took him out, and he was, you know, doing quite well for a, a young horse because I started him under saddle one, yep. and it was my friend Angela Clare, who'd won the horse before, and so we we had a horse which was a year apart, so we were helping each other start these horses, and she was competing with me as well, and then some transition, I guess I started jumping him, and did some jumping training, had a few. Various jumping instructors, and they said, oh, "You want to try some venting I thought, "Give that a go." Mm-hmm. He was only just 15 hands, so he only just scraped into the yes. uh, to the height. But he uh, he was um, he didn't like any anywhere near the jump, so he used to jump really big and cleared them with ease, which actually made him very safe for me as a cross country rider. He mm-hmm. was he made sure he wasn't going to hang a leg on anything but He didn't want to get anywhere near them, so um, he was a safe ride. And uh, yeah, he did. He did really well and I thoroughly enjoyed competing him and he even managed the strides in between the fences, um, certainly. uh, That was was my issue because he he was only small, but he had heart, uh, as big as he was.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thinking about working in the horse industry, Jill, because you're a coach, but you're also a psychologist. So I'm sort of asking you from the psychologist's point of view, are there – Consistent traits that you see in people that work within the horse industry, you know, character traits, core skills, what sort of things do you see with people that are consistent?
1: I think those that do well in the industry particularly, um, yeah, I I think really they're very fussy about the detail. Mm -hmm. I think often with, um, with people with horses that can get some problems, they let some what appear to be relatively minor things go and they let a few of those go and the horse by that is learning, well, that's okay, I can do that and I can do that. And then you can have a big, bigger problem if you're not actually really fussy yeah. about getting those small things right. So I think those that do well, um, they're really they're good on picking up the detail and picking the first stride that goes wrong rather than wading into half a circle spot where the, the horse is already showing some confusion and not understanding what's being asked. So the, I think the quicker you are and the, the better they are um Correcting those things to help the horse understand. I think that makes some really um, terrific riders. Yes, and definitely out there. And I think there's also uh, a remarkable for those that again do well a a dedication and commitment to the sport. Mm -hmm. Uh, Life will happen, both good and bad things to everyone. And. Getting a horse fit for competition, I think, is is a big deal in its own right. Anyone who's been around horses for a long time knows things can go wrong. In my little Arab before the uh, Australian National, he was kicked by another horse in the paddock a week out from the competition. And I went, and I thought, what can I give him that's actually going to be legal? Because I can't give him things that if he's going to be, they're going to kiss him. So what can I give him that I still like to take him to the competition? So I remember then just hosing and icing and just doing some really basic things. So I didn't ride him for five days and ride him, you know, two days out from the comp and um he actually he came he came fifth in a um tricker which was fantastic. Mm. But it's things happen and I would have pulled him from the comp had he not been found. But it's it's that capacity when things go wrong to still kind of pick yourself up and go, Okay, this has happened, what can I do? Um and, and it can even be, it happens again, people lose horses, unfortunately. We we hopefully will outlive our horses and um, things go wrong with them. And I've been in, in this industry long enough to know that can occur. And to be able to get a horse fit and well and yourself fit and well or horse fit and well isn't necessarily easy. So those that think are good at it will pick themselves up if something goes wrong, um, either with themselves or the horse or other things in life that happen and still Progress, yes, uh, and I think yes. there's some core things that are critical for, for those who do really well
0: in the sport. And, and just something you said there, you know, about having a horse getting kicked a week out of a competition, training horse for the pre caprilli that's all taken place well and truly a week before. It's not like, oh, well, I couldn't take my horse in that competition because he went lame <laughs> and I couldn't train him. All the training had already taken place, it was just a matter of. Nursing him, looking after him, and just reminding him in that last two days, yes. you know what it was all about. Yeah, yeah.
1: Look, absolutely, it is. Mm. Uh, you know, if if you're trying to get your horse right for a for a you know national level competition three days out, and then yeah, it's not going to work. No, but no. things things can happen though, and and either to riders or to horses. You know, riders get injured as well, where they're not in riding necessarily at their best. But it's common. I, I don't know anybody who's been in the industry who hasn't had problems somewhere along the line uh, when you. Mm. Uh, horse. It happens.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you get your fairy tales, but you get your tragic incidents as well. So, a bit of a mixture of both. Mm. And
1: and in fact, for me, when um my horse Chapparita the one that I won, um, and he was really my first horse uh, that I'd done any competition with, and and because he'd done so well and was uh, such a a lovely horse, he unfortunately died of colic as a twelve year old, and. That was really devastating for me. I, the first time I'd lost a horse. I, there was no obvious reason for colic. I think it's just one of those dreadful things that can happen. And it did the first and last time he ever had colic. And I, I was very close to giving up the sport at that point because I thought I can't do this again. Uh, I'm heartbroken, and uh, it was, it was really tough to restart from that point because I just thought no, enough. Um, this is just too difficult. And unfortunately now, because I've been around horses many, many years, decades and decades that I realised it happens and it still breaks your heart. Absolutely. But um, I still love the sport though in spite of that. Mm. And if you can have a a lovely relationship with a horse uh, for a period of time, uh, value that time. And as as long as it is, I'm I'm grateful when I go out there every day and see all my horses with four legs under them and they're happily grazing, I figure that's all a good thing.
0: Is that the best thing about the horse industry, the relationship you can get with your horse or if you've got something else you'd like to talk about?
1: Uh, look, I think uh, the relationship you have with your but also the relationship you have with others in the industry, I think is uh, is good as well. Um, those people that I used to compete about, you'd see various um, different folks out and about in in competition. And I also think it's the way you um, uh, you are as well in competitions, that if you can take it on the chin when you lose, everyone does, then I think that's that's really important on how you win and lose. it's It's easy to be a um, a winner. Uh, but it's a bit more hard to uh, to take losses, and it's I think it's how you take that. But certainly, I think the relationship you get with your horse yep. is key, yep. which I think also links into where some folks they'll love their horse even though it's not a good fit mm-hmm. for them. I think the temperament of the horse and the temperament of the rider have got to fit um, well to have the best possible connection. Yep, and I think it's tough to get. I think it's it's really tough to get where you get that really great connection. Yeah, and some are better than others.
0: Sure. Yep, yep. Tell us about someone who's helped you or some people who've helped you. Who's been, you think, the main person or people who've helped you?
1: Well, it certainly would have been uh, Hillary and Bryce Neckler from Taupo Stud when I won to Harm, because I knew nothing about showing and they were fabulous. So they were a big help. They were at the shows because they were a big stud. They were showing horses themselves and they were incredible in, in helping me kind of learn how competition worked and what to do and, and how to prepare horses and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And it also then would have been when I uh, uh, lost Tahan to Colic, uh, it would have been Merv Bennett. I had Tahan at his place. I was posted to HMAS Albatross in the Navy at that point and I had my horse Tahan at, at Merv's place uh, when he died. And as I said, I wanted to quit the sport, but Merv um, generously said, look, we've got some horses here if you, you, know, if you want to go for a ride. I'd also actually bought a, a weanling, Anglo-Arab. <laughs> Clearly he was only a, a weanling, so I couldn't ride him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Merv was incredibly supportive. And so I sort of went for a ride on a couple of his horses and then it kind of went, I'll go for a ride again. And then I realised yeah. I really mm-hmm. liked riding. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And he got me back into it. And and actually just learning from him too, his his skills as a rider and his experiences were um, just phenomenal. And watching him work horses was was amazing and and I I think I was very fortunate to be able to ride with him and and ride some of his horses. It was uh, yeah it was an amazing experience.
0: He's had an impressive career too, hasn't he, as a competitor as an oh, eventer? Yeah,
1: amazingly so. Yeah. and you know he's had the holes and loads as well. So, sure. um And they again it's, it happens, but it was his career and and being able to watch him regularly as opposed to just seeing these elite riders, you know, every now and then at competitions was an amazing experience and to see how well he rode horses. And again, he was stuffy about the details as well and yep. and was a very patient, yep. terrific rider.
0: Has Tahan been the number one horse do you think? Or have you had others that have influenced you?
1: Uh look probably Tahan would still be um because he was my first as well, I think there's something your first competition for. Yes. yes. And I my little angler, unfortunately, he died of a heart attack at as an eight year old. Uh, so, again, these things happen. I was I was getting fairly rocky at that, having two horses uh, lose them in relatively close succession. Yeah. Um, that was a, a pretty tough, uh, but probably to harm is the main one. I, I've had a, um, a warm-blood mare, um, Cleveland Bay Cross, and we won a classic, and I was competing her to novice and went to the rider of the year of the National Capital Equestrian uh, Club in for my age group, and she was a lovely horse, and I still got her. Um, She's in her 20s now, and she's semi-retired on my property, and I did have a lovely role with her too.
0: Yeah, yeah. What do you think your proudest moment's been?
1: Cool. Probably getting to Han, uh, well, initially getting into the state championships and, and placing at the state dressage championships. Yes. I think that was really important, and I I loved the fact that he was an Arab because it was kind of, there you go, he's, he's actually at this level, and then would have been the Nationals uh, with him uh, in, in the pre-prilies. i I will forever remember that. That was, yeah, incredibly important. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Mm.
0: What do you think, I know you've talked about some challenges, you know, with the death of two horses quite young. Mm. What do you think your biggest challenge has been?
1: I, I think it was, again, that staying motivated when things go wrong. It's it's very easy to um, get down when things go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's been tough to maintain that motivation. Yep. So... I think it's hard regrouping after that. And certainly for me, I was getting a bit twitchy thinking, gee, I haven't, I haven't had a horse older than 12 years. Um, and, and you start questioning yourself going, what is it? What's happening to me? And uh, just, again, these things happen. Yeah. But I think getting through those tough times is, is difficult. And for me, because I also had my, my Navy career trying to juggle both, and many people I realise are juggling careers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and when you're trying to compete, not everyone's full-time in the equestrian uh, world, some are. But, but many aren't. They're still competing and they're getting up very early and they're going to their other, their other job and then coming back as I was when I was comp- uh, competing my horses. So it's, it's tough to do that. And maintaining that motivation and dedication is yeah.
0: tough. What would you say then for someone who's maybe had a horse that died, is you know quite distraught and isn't motivated, what sort of advice would you give them? about getting back into the sport and continuing on and persisting as you have?
1: I guess I'd be looking at what made them get into the sport in the first place.
0: It's a good question, isn't it?
1: It is. If you can keep your eye on on that, and for me, I certainly didn't get into competitions for the the ribbons or to win. It was actually I enjoyed, and still do, I enjoy the training process. Um, I, I like... You know, having young horses and and when you're doing that and when you realize they've got it, and it's just great. So if you enjoy the training process then then it's worthwhile starting again with another horse um, or taking time for a horse to recover. Uh, but if if you enjoy the process, mm. then that can keep you in the sport. Now, I love horses as well, so I, I just like having horses. I haven't now competed for sort of ten or so years, but I still like horses. There's something Something about them, I don't quite know what it is, but there's something that I really like about them. And whether I'm brushing them or whether I'm riding them or feeding them, uh, there's something about them that I want to to keep with them.
0: Yep, yep.
1: And I think that's with others as well.
0: Okay, okay. Thinking about being a judge, you know, judging at your local dressage competitions and coaching at the riding club or, you know, any of your own students, but also bringing in your profession as a psychologist, What's a common fault that you see with riders talking about mental attitude?
1: I I think we've got to be really cognizant of a a rider's anxiety and the impact on the horse Mm -hmm. as well. Yes. Um, I know there was some research done. I spoke to Andrew McGreevy years ago at a a conference, and he was saying that there was a um, study done once where they had heart monitors uh, put on horses and heart monitors put on handlers, and they told the handlers to lead a horse up and down a... Uh, dressage arena, so down the long side, 60 metres, and they then told the uh, handler that on the fourth time when they were walking down, they were going to open an umbrella in front of the horse.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, clearly the horse didn't know this was going to happen, but the riders did, or in this case, the handler, so they had the horse's lead in the first yep. instance. Now, when the handler turned fourth on the fourth occasion, the handler's heart rate went up, immediately followed by the horse's heart rate. Yes. Now, they didn't open the umbrella, but the horse through a lead rope, was able to pick up that there'd been a change. Mm. And they did the same thing with um, ridden, ridden horses. Again, they didn't open the umbrella, but the stretch was there. Yep. And as soon as they turned on the fourth to do the fourth time down, horse, uh, the rider's heart rate went up, followed immediately by the horse's heart rate. So it says a lot of how in tune horses are as uh, fight, fight animals to our own anxiety and I think that can feed into horses if riders become more and more anxious. And, you know, they're, they're a big animal, they're a powerful animal, they can move very quickly from, you know, nothing to very fast. So I think uh, fear, particularly in a lot of older folks who may have ridden a lot when they were younger, um, hadn't ridden for 20 years and then come back in, I think uh, addressing the fear and actually helping the riders stay calm and doing just some just basic things like breathing, I think is incredibly important. And I've often told folks when they've come down and introduced themselves to me when I'm judging, and you can see that they're really not breathing as they're talking to me. Yep. And I'll say, look, just, you just do some breathing now, even before you go down there, remember to breathe and enjoy this. Yes. And I think that's really important. And, and I think a lot more emphasis should be placed on, on being aware on how a ride is going and their impact on how the horses go from a, from a mental health point of view as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's certainly an interesting study, isn't it, that as soon as the handler's heart rate went up, the horse's heart rate went up, just from the anticipation, not because anything happened, but because there was anticipation no. there. Yeah, yeah. Yes,
1: and I think that's because that, you know, the part in the brani amygdala, which in us is fairly small, but in, in horses is very big relative to their size, mm. that that flight thing is such a key one. And, you know, we also, we get impacted by flight flight as well. So if the horse does something it frightens us, then we're triggered to some, to some extent. Yes. And if we're then really frightened, I think the horse is then going, well, they're looking for a leader at that point. And if you're really frightened and they're really frightened, then you've potentially got a dangerous situation.
0: Yep, yep, yep. And,
1: and I think we should be aware that, uh, that, of course, they can move so quickly to be very cognizant of how we're going. Um, and I think some riders are better at remaining calm and some horses are more heightened, and some horses are more cold. But, again, having that right fit, that yep. so it fits the rider because mm-hmm. uh, a, a, a spooky or a, or a hot horse
0: is probably not going to be good with a more fearful rider. Yep, yep. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look, horsechats.com. Okay, that's certainly something to think about. Jill, have you got a book that you'd like to recommend for our listeners, something that's going to complement their training?
1: Well, hold coffee for for those, um, it, it's also about managing horses as well. And if, if you're fortunate yes. enough to have horses on a property, I uh, follow Jane Myers on keeping um, horses on small properties. And it's, it gives a really good idea on, on how to manage horses because I think we've got to be aware of what's best for the, for the land and also what's best for the horses. And um, I follow what she does um, quite a bit with my own property set up and I know not everyone's fortunate enough to have that, but if you do, to make sure you're managing it in the best possible way, for both the health of the force and also for the health of the property. Yeah. And she's got some amazing um, uh, understanding and she's done some, a lot of research into this, and I, I think it's it certainly helps in, so you don't get as many bear patches in your land and those sorts of things.
0: Yep. Yep. No, that's good. All right. What are you looking forward to now, Jill? You know, your regular students that you you're coaching and –
1: Oh, look, I enjoy coaching. I, I much prefer coaching to judging. I always struggle with a judge not wanting to go into coaching mode. Um, no. I much coaching. <laughs> yep. But you can do something to help folks. You can actually be quite proactive.
0: Well, coaching is solution-orientated, isn't it? You know, judging is uh, is uh, you've got to look for the problems and justify your scores, whereas coaching is a lot more solution-orientated.
1: Yes, yes. And, uh, yeah, so I my, my preference is to coach um, Absolutely, I much prefer that because you can actually, as you say, you you can focus on something to help the horse and yep. to help the rider. So mm-hmm. I really enjoy doing that. I also um, have now got a couple of Irish cobs. I uh, went to Ireland last year and had just wanted to ride an Irish cob on a beach, and mm-hmm. I did that, and then fell in love with the the breed. And then whilst I was there, I went to uh, stud recommended to me in Ireland, Candy Stud and then bought two Irish cobs, which have, um, I've now got two, three-year-old Irish cob mares on my property. One of whom has had a foal, so I've got a lovely, I um, oh, he's coming up to two-month-old uh, colt now, and it's just lovely having, uh, I, it was sort of on my bucket list, I wanted to have a foal. Yep. Now I'm going to get two, hopefully, all being well, and it's just yep. lovely seeing foals and, and starting off with such a young horse. I've, I've had a weanling before but never never found birth, so it's yes. it's, just marvellous, and I also want to do some driving. I know nothing about driving, but again, that's kind of on my bucket list. And these horses, I think, will be um, really up for that. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's interesting watching their temperament difference too. Having never having had cold bloods before, it's uh, it's interesting, uh, and I'm I'm loving it. It's it's just great.
0: Good, good. So, Jill, just in a few sentences, summarise your philosophy with horses.
1: Um, oh, what would I say? In a few? Enjoy your time with them mm. and don't take it for granted. Yep. Uh, what else would I say? I think well, the enjoyment is, is the key thing. I, I've seen many people who don't seem to be enjoying their horses. Uh, and I think to actually be, to be grateful for the time you have with them and, and to have that relationship, don't take it for granted. and And remembering why you're in the sport. Uh, for whatever reason if it should just be, uh, a rider who's just riding a horse on, on the weekend or you're competing at various levels, I would hope that underneath it all, you're actually enjoying this. Now, there's going to be days when you don't, inevitably, perhaps to all of us, but if fundamentally you enjoy building that relationship, you enjoy being with a horse and riding a horse, you're always going to be going um, okay, even, even during the tough times, so...
0: I think that's what I'd say. Yeah, I'm sort of thinking because, you know, earlier on you said you ask people what made you get into the sport in the first place if they are having a bit of a tough time. So I think you've just got to keep remembering that, you know, about the joy you had when you first started with horses and you've got to keep coming back to that and keep remembering that connection that you're getting, that feeling. And I think if you can sort of keep coming back and remembering that, then um, that's just magic, yeah. I would agree. And if that's
1: your focus rather than on what, score you've got or Mm. what ribbon you've got or what colour it is if your focus is on building that relationship then you're always going to be building on that albeit there's going to be days and we've all had them as riders when it's just you know something is just not working it worked well yesterday but for whatever reason the horse isn't understanding and maybe we're not in the right frame of mind at the time we're riding we're all going to have days like that to know okay they will pass and if, if they're not, get some, get some coaching, get some instruction. It might be something that you're not seeing. that Someone else on the ground can see uh, what's occurring. Yep. But if you're focused on that training process or you're, you're focusing on just enjoying the relationship and going out for a ride with the horse or just having them in the paddock and actually just um, a number of people have them as paddock ornaments, and that's fine. If they're enjoying that relationship with the horse and they're looking after it, yep. then you're always going to be ahead. You, there's, there's nothing... Uh, in that sense, you're always going to be enjoying your time with them, and I think that's where I do see some folks going wrong when they get so distressed when they miss out on X, whether it's a championship or a, or a first or something they needed in order to qualify. Then uh, that can really pull them down, and I think they can lose some perspective of why they're doing this sport in the first place.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, that's all a bonus, isn't it? The the ribbons and the championships and the qualifying and everything else is all just a bonus. Yeah.
1: Yes, and knowing horses, horses can die on us. It, it, it sure. does happen. It, sure. um, uh, if if they're there in their world, well, then let's let's enjoy that and let's let's celebrate the capacity that we we have um, fortunate enough to have these wonderful animals and and work with them in various ways in whatever your sport is. It's great. it's yeah. it's um, what, what keeps me going in this industry.
0: <laughs> okay, now Jill, how can people contact you?
1: Okay, the um, uh, best contact for me is uh, they can contact me by email. It's just uh, Jill Buckfield at Outlook.com or my mobile phone number is 0475 439
0: 055. Okay, and the other thing too, Jill, is that'll be on Horse Chat. So it'll be HorseChats.com slash Jill Buckfield or HorseChats.com. Go to there and search for Jill or search for Buckfield and you'll get that. Yeah jill thanks for talking to us today um, enjoyed that i'd like to talk to you in a little bit more detail about the importance of the rider's mental outlook when they're riding that'd be great if we can come back and talk about that sometime in the future but meanwhile thanks for everything today and thanks for your time
1: sure thank you i'd be happy
0: to talk again okay. bye 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 if you've enjoyed this chat then please comment rate and subscribe